Welcome back, creeps. Thanks for starting. I always have trouble starting off this podcast. <laughs> All right. So. Hi. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to say hi too. <laughs> hi, everyone. This is me, Dulce. Okay. So this week we're using some different recording software and a different laptop because my laptop is sick. So. Yep. So we're using mine. Yeah. So apologies for any change. Audio. Quality. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I don't know how to use this yet, but we're learning. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. yeah who gives a shit? Or let's just give them a story. All right. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So this week we're going to Australia. Sick. Yeah. Um, we are going to... We're going to Australia and we're also going back in time. All right. I'm ready. That's the time machine. Okay. All right. So <laughs> my sources this week are news.com.au, vice.com, and Wikipedia. April 35... Nope. The, the 35th of April? 35th of April. Wow. No, April 1935. <laughs> Coogee Beach, New South Wales, Australia. Fun fact, the name Coogee is said to be taken from a local Aboriginal word, Kuja, which means smelly place. Whoa, what? Yeah, so apparently it's got something to do with the amount of seaweed that used to like, you know, seaweed stinks. Does it? Well, the sea stinks and I'm assuming it's the seaweed. I didn't know the sea stank. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gross. <laughs> like garbage? Well, I guess it's just like, it's the smell of the sea, you know? Sea stink. Yeah. All right. Anyway, father and son, Bert and Ron Hobson, are out fishing to try and find a new main attraction for their aquarium. Not like a home aquarium, but Bert actually owned the Coogee Aquarium. Like the city aquarium or the town aquarium, you know? Like oh, the big, okay. The big honking aquarium. Um, business had gotten really bad because this was during the Great Depression and the Coogee Pier, which is basically like the Wonder Wharf, uh, had been torn down the year before, which meant like the only attraction there was the aquarium. So there was no like passersby or whatever there. Anyway, business was doing shitty. So they were like, we need to go out and catch something big. Oh. So they did. They managed to catch a four meter, which is 13 feet long tiger shark nice. weighing around a ton whoa yeah and they wait a meter is that no, four meters so that's 40 feet no 13 feet i translated it for you oh sorry can you imagine a 40 foot tiger shark no that's enormous <laughs> um so no he's 13 feet okay and anyway so they organized to get it back to the enclosure yeah. safe and sound their plan worked and crowds gathered to see one of the great beasts that had been plaguing their beaches and harbors. Oh. Apparently, like shark attacks were really on the rise around this time. Yeah, aren't and aren't tiger sharks like aggressive? I don't know. It's a fucking. They're stay they're, away from all sharks. <laughs> their teeth are they look curved. I think this is a shark, the same shark you're talking about. But they're supposed to be really aggressive and their claws, their claws, their teeth are like kind of curved inwards okay. so that when they get you. They really fucking get you. Yeah, they have like jagged teeth, not like nice pearly whites, like a great white. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right on. This all happened just in the nick of time because the very next week was Anzac Day which is Australian and New Zealand Army Corps. That's what ANZAC stands for. It's basically like Veteran Day mm. or Veterans Day. ANZAC Day rolls around and the place is fairly busy. Everyone coming to see this big old shark. But as we know now, sharks do not deal well with captivity. Correct. And this one was no different. So from what I can gather, the crowd was a lot bigger this day and the shark just got really fucking agitated. Started like convulsing and, and all that, and eventually vomited <gasps> in the tank. It coughed up a rat and a bird. What? And it turned out it had actually eaten a smaller shark. Right? This is yeah. like a fucking children's nursery rhyme. Yeah. Because this smaller shark had consumed 
A human fucking arm. So it's like a turducken. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so here's this left arm floating around in this tank for everyone to see. Wait a minute. So at before, uh, how long had it been in captivity before it puked? A week. Wow. Yeah. It must have like a, a real like shitty digestive system. <laughs> Probably. Um, but anyway, yeah, so while these people are left sitting staring at this fucking arm floating in the tank. That's so metal. It gets even more metal. It was the left arm of a man with a tattoo of two men boxing. That on is the inner so arm. fucking cool. Yeah, on the inner forearm. And there is pictures of the tattoo. Like, it's proper, like, they figure old out. school. Yeah. But yeah, so it's just like single line, like, no shading, real fucking badass tattoo. Like a prison tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it also still had rope attached uh, to the wrist. What? Yeah, and initially where they, they called the police. Obviously, 1935, like, they either physically went to the cop shop yeah. or they had one telephone or they they ran to the police and on like while they were shouting wee, wee. <laughs> <laughs> but uh the police initially thought it was a joke yeah they were like get the fuck fake. out of here like well they didn't believe them at all oh <laughs> and then when they got there and saw the arm they were like nah this is just some like shitty stunt pulled by like the park owner or the yeah. aquarium owner Fucking naysayers. Yeah, or <laughs> some bored medical students with too much time on their hands and access to spare parts. Yeah, okay. seriously. So first of all, medical students do not have that much time on their hands. Yeah. And also, like, just go fucking look. Yeah. You know what I mean? Except the fact that this is a human arm. What's it going to cost you? Yeah. Like, if nothing else, you get to see the shark for free. But anyway... They go, they get the arm and they bring it to the coroner's office and he quickly realized that the arm was not actually bitten off. This arm had been cut or severed with a blunt knife. Mm. Okay, so the original small shark that swallowed it, swallowed it whole. Thanks to the tattoo um, and the very new fingerprinting um, technology at the time. And the shark. Uh, yeah, and the shark. <laughs> um, they were able to identify it oh nice yeah they literally like the old school fingerprinting was just looking at pictures for hours on end That's so they went wild. through all that and then yeah they also posted a picture in like the local newspaper which the brother was able to confirm no this is my brother Jimmy Smith so Jimmy Smith was a one time aspiring boxer hence the the dude's the, boxing yeah and at this stage, he was like in his 30s and he just he had given up on his dream, basically. You know, like he realized he didn't get that big break that he was hoping for. That sucks. Yeah. But he started to work uh, like construction jobs. He was the manager of like a billiard saloon, uh, which is just like pool, basically. So a bar with pool tables and shit. But I think like even back then, like snooker clubs now and pool clubs. What's a snooker club? It's similar type of game. Okay. Like at home, they're not exactly like the place where desirables hang out. Like, you know, even still to this day. So I can only imagine back in 1935, it was like a rougher type of crowd. Okay. And this is where he did fall in with criminals who he would occasionally work for and also occasionally rat them out to the police. Oh, what? Yeah. So he was known to the police for like petty crimes i guess i'm guessing and also for being a snitch uh, a snitch yeah so that explains why his fingerprints were readily available to compare mm -hmm. while he was working as a builder he became acquainted with reginald holmes like sherlock holmes holmes was a well respected member of society he was a third generation boat builder with a thriving business in lavender bay which is a suburb along Sydney Harbour's North Shore. So all, like, where these locations are in, like, prime real estate areas. Like, even today, like, well, especially today, you would have to have a lot of money to live in these neighborhoods, as far as I can make out anyway. But yeah, so 
his granddad had like started the business in like 1850 and so here he is now in like the 85th year of operation like he's you know pillar of the community he was known to give charitable donations to the church and was a proud family man he was also a drug smuggler and a fraudster he specialized in insurance and business fraud this guy just sounds like he would literally do anything to get like a quick few dollars he seemed to have his greedy little fingers in all of the pies. That's what I have written in my... I think I must have been getting salty with this guy earlier. And all of the pies. All of the pies. Um, his stupid fingers. Yeah, stupid fat fingers. <laughs> but, yeah, so he also had, like, these construction project projects mm-hmm. going along as well. So I'm assuming, like, people would just come to him and be like, give us the money for this or whatever and we'll, you know, like loan shark almost. Yeah. But legitimate businesses as well. So like investments or whatever. Right, like I said, this is how he came in contact with Jimmy Smith. He employed Jimmy to carry out various tasks such as cheating builders out of supplies. I'm not sure how that would work. Being like, nah, nah, man, there's four there. There's four. And the builder's like, nah, man, there's only three. Like I'm counting them. And he's like, nah, man, four. Like I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, in my head is very black and white. Like, you know, this is the amount of supplies I paid for. This is the amount of supplies I've received. Yeah. But anyway, that was one of their, like, swindles. And their other, like, main gig was over-insuring property. Mm. Which Jimmy would also go and destroy. Right. So, generally, arson was the method, like, their go-to method. Jimmy would also take Holmes' speedboats out in the night to pick up his heroin or cocaine drops, which would be left by passing ships at Sydney Heads, which is the entrance to Sydney Harbour. Mm-hmm. But this isn't like, like Dunleary Pier is like a small little, you know, man-made entrance to a, to a harbour. Whereas these are natural, like, I think they're a mile wide or something like that. So they're a good bit out there. Like, I don't know, when I'm looking at these things, I'm thinking... Like, there's no way I'd be in a little speedboat in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? Going out, and these are shark-infested bodies. Yeah. <laughs> as we know. What if the shark eats the heroin? You'll die one happy shark, I'd say. <laughs> Fucking trip and fall. Yeah, train spotting butt sharks. Anyway, yeah, so that, this was one of his, you know, little, like, side jobs or whatever. Nixers, as we call them, back home. So, Holmes also owned a pleasure cruiser, which is just a big yacht. I don't know why, like, in every article it was like, pleasure cruiser. But it was a big yacht named the Pathfinder, of which Jimmy was also employed as the caretaker. Now, all of this juicy, fraudulent activity required quite a bit of forging checks and insurance forms. So, I'm going to throw one last name into the mix. Okay. Patrick Brady. I would also like to point out that these are all delightful English and Irish names. Yep. Brady is described as a master forger. Um, he discovered his gift, gift for forging during World War One, where he would forge the signatures of generals. I don't know what for or anything, but that's where he found out that he was good at forging. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, that it, again, that so was also <laughs> mentioned in many different articles, so I was like, I better include this. Yeah, real uh, important. Yeah. So they would rewrite checks for like negligible amounts from Holmes's wealthy customers and then cash them either in Holmes's boat company or Jimmy's construction company. Uh, this was like in between insurance jobs, you know, just to kind of keep them floating, I guess. So anyway, it was like the perfect dream team for like doing bad shit for fraud. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So Holmes was the brains. Smith was the muscle. And then. Brady was the forger. Okay. Okay. Anyway, they all got a bit too greedy for their own good. As you do. Yeah. There's a few different reports of how this actually went down, but I think it's kind of like a general combination of the following rumors. So that big yacht that Holmes had, the, the Pathfinder, that sunk one night in Sydney Harbour. Standard for, you know these guys operations but when Holmes filed the fraudulent paperwork this time the company refused to pay out because somebody had reported the incident suspicious to the police now our friend Jimmy Smith happened to be friendly with the police as well so that's where some people are kind of 
you know, putting two and two together. But others say that Jimmy started to blackmail Holmes for more and more money. Mm. But again, this was the Depression and not only was Holmes's actual business suffering, but so was his like criminal businesses as well. Like, you know, the drug dealing and stuff. Jimmy just kept asking for more and more money and, you know, would obviously threaten to out him. So one night, Jimmy tells his wife that he's going to go fishing. This seems to be a normal thing, going night fishing. I'm not that type of person, so I don't know. Night fishing? Yeah, a few people in this story go fishing at night and their wives just accept that, so... They're just like, whatever, weirdo. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> freak. Um, anyway, he didn't come back for a few days and she started to worry. But then she got this phone call from some mystery man telling her, don't worry, Jimmy will be home in three days time. Mm. But she never saw Jimmy again. Jimmy's last night was spent with Patrick Brady at the Cecil Hotel in Cronulla, Cronulla. Some fucking crazy Australian name. Not the Cecil Hotel in Hollywood. Which we'll probably cover at a later date. But anyway, apparently they were playing a noisy game of cards. So I don't know whether it was just like, Ace of Spades! (laughs) (laughs) Queen of Hearts! (laughs) That gave me a giggle earlier. It was was like... (laughs) Shuffle, shuffle! (laughs) This is me, shuffling cards, mate. One, two, three. How many did I give you? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, like I can't think of any anything else. What is that? So they weren't at the Cecil for too long, and they went from the hotel to a small cottage that Brady had rented in Tolombi Street. I think it was only about two kilometers away from the hotel, and later that night. A taxi driver picked up Brady on his own from the cottage and took him to 3 Bayview Street in McMahon's Point, Holmes's home. So the taxi drivers back then apparently had amazing memories and he remembered everything about the trip. I guess he just stuck out because he described Brazy, Brazy? Brady as disheveled and clearly hiding something under his jacket, later testifying that it was clear that he was frightened. Brady was arrested for random forgery charges. Like, they just had to bring him in over whatever, so they got him into the station where they interrogated him for six hours. I don't know what happened in this interrogation room. Like, this was almost 100 years ago, so I'm sure they weren't exactly the most, you know, PC of policemen. But anyway, he didn't say anything. Six straight hours of interrogation. And eventually they brought in his wife. So... I don't know, like, what they did to his wife or what they told her. But she came in and she was in an absolute state, like, sobbing her heart out and just totally distraught. And this broke him down and he agreed to write a full statement. So, this next bit, the way Vice wrote it makes it sound like um, Holmes actually heard the sirens coming over the hill towards his house. But... I don't know whether that's actually what happened or he just got wind that Brady had been picked up by the police. Anyway, early on Monday morning, around three weeks after Jimmy's arm had been barfed up by that unfortunate tiger shark, Holmes gets hammered, grabs a bottle of gin and takes off on one of his speedboats, literally from his house, his little boat shed out of his back garden, guns it into Sydney Harbour. Flat out. Anyway, the police see his, like... He's speeding and driving erratically. Like, there's rules in the harbour just as there is on the fucking road. Yeah. And he is fucking gunning it. And as well, like, I would like to think that this was one of the top speedboats of the time, considering he was the man for that kind of thing. His pleasure boat? Well, no, this is his pleasure boats for pleasure. Speedboats for speed. (laughs) (laughs) And his pleasure boats being fucking sunk and destroyed anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, he comes ripping out of his (laughs) harbour. He comes ripping out of his house (laughs) and the harbour police are after him. Like they see him, they go after him and he would slow down and let them get close. And then when they did get close, he'd fuck off the opposite (laughs) direction. Apparently this went on for hours. And I mean, as as long as the bottle of gym would last him, right? Pretty much. 
He's like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, coppers, fuck off. You're like, all right, all right, you can come get me. Zag. Yeah, yeah, literally, this is what was going on. So he, like, crowds of people gathered around the harbor just to watch all this commotion. Yeah, so anyway, he, he eventually stops and he makes a big show of standing up on, like, the edge of the boat or close to the edge. And anyway... And in front of all these onlookers and police. Like Rose from Titanic? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but he's got a gun in his hand. Oh, fuck. And he says, Jimmy Smith is dead. And there's only another lift. If you leave me until tonight, I will finish him. Nobody really knows what he meant by that. Like, he was plastered. Wait, say that again, but without the... In English? Yeah. He said, Jimmy Smith is dead. And there was only another lift. If you leave me until tonight, I will finish him. Oh, so, so he, he thinks that he's going to kill the other dude? Well, yeah, but nobody really knows. It was kind of like this weird cryptic message. Yeah. Anyway, he's visibly hammered and the police get ready for a gunfight. He puts the gun to his head, pulls the trigger and his body falls into the harbor. Crazy. Yeah, the police move in. Holmes regains consciousness. Scrambles back into the boat. And takes off again. <laughs> what the fuck? I swear to God. Wait, so he shot himself and shot he just himself dusted, in him, dusted himself off. He passed out and fell into the water. Where did he shoot himself? Fell into shark infested water, can I just say. Now, shark attacks in the harbor are very, very rare. But what are the odds? Like He shot like, himself in the head. Again, this is where reports start to differ. So, like one article says that this was the end of the chase. Another article says he takes off for another four hours. Okay, so I'm assuming that this whole thing lasted around four hours. But he disrupted the morning ferry services, which (laughs) seemed to really have upset a lot of people. I mean, if it was noteworthy. I mean, you know, these people are going to work. Anyway, he eventually led the police totally out of the harbor. Again, this harbor goes on for miles. And he brings them out another two kilometers, like a mile and a half or something, outside the harbor into the sea. And eventually he just gets tired and he stops and he hands himself in. That's so crazy. Yeah, I know, right? It's like he just, these cops just got forced into like some crazy chase party. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was like, I guess maybe the gin started to wear off. Yeah, and he was yeah. just like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. But should've yeah. Should have brought two bottles. Yeah. <laughs> but when the police like finally got him, the empty bottle of gin was just floating around the bottom of the boat. <laughs> um, Christ yeah so other sources say oh yeah I said that like as soon as he regained consciousness he handed himself in but the bullet like he did shoot himself in the head but my notes say the bullet was deflected off his bony ass forehead what <laughs> but that's literally what happened I think like if you hit your because it happens like obviously not a lot but quite often where if you hit your head like shoot yourself in the head at just the right angle the bullet will actually skate around like it'll it won't go through your skull yeah but it'll fly around like under your skin and out through the other side that's crazy something like that please nobody quote me on like i'm not a fucking doctor i've just watched a lot of true crime documentaries but yeah so this does happen quite often that's crazy yeah so he was one lucky motherfucker yeah so holmes at this stage, is understandably fairly tired. <laughs> so he gives up. Like, as soon as the police take him into custody, he's like, look, I'll tell you everything. Just leave me the fuck alone. I've got a sore head. Like, yeah. you know? He tells the police that Brady showed up to his house late one night holding Jimmy's severed arm and threatening blackmail if he didn't hand over 500 pounds. Apparently, the Australians used to use pounds. So that's the equivalent to around 25,000 US dollars today. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. That's the equivalent to around 25,000 Australian dollars today. Mm-hmm. Holmes told police that Brady explained how he had killed and dismembered Jimmy before putting his body parts into a trunk, which he drove out and dumped in Gunamata Bay. Again, these are it's all in Sydney Harbour, just different little beaches. So this was known as a Sydney send-off back in the day. Wow. Yeah, this is like the mobster move. Yeah. So Brady hung on to his left arm because of the tattoo. Easily Mm. identifiable. And he knew once he got to Holmes' house, he'd be like, fuck, that's Jimmy's arm. Yeah. Which is another reason I'm thankful for tattoos. 
Mm. Me and you will always be very easily identified, no matter what happens our faces. Yeah. So anyway, Holmes gives him the money, and Brady pisses off, but he just left the arm sitting in Holmes's living room, and so then Holmes naturally freaks the fuck out, gets into one of his boats, man of many boats, drives out. Oh yeah, he drives out in the boat to fuck the arm out to sea where it was then eaten by a shark who was then eaten by a bigger shark who was caught by the father and son. And, you know, that's why we're all here today. Ah. But with this confession, Holmes agreed to be a witness in the case against Brady, which was to be held on June 12th. So this all happened, like, April 25th um, was when Smith's arm was coughed up in the aquarium. So June 12th is the court date for Brady. Not Holmes. So that morning, the police arrive at Holmes' house. I have Holmes' home written again, just because I thought that was funny. Well, so they let him go after that? Yeah, they let him go. He was willing to testify. They believed his story. Oh. Again, this is the rich man. Yeah. Brady's the poor man. Okay. Anyway, he goes off and he's living his living his life as normal, basically. His boat life. Yeah, for, for from what I can tell. But police arrive early on June 12th to bring him to court. But when they pull into his driveway, they find him sitting in his car with three bullets in his chest. This time he is dead. (laughs) So this was his last insurance job. On on himself? Yep. That's so metal. Yeah, so the general consensus is that Holmes had taken out a hefty insurance policy shortly before ordering a hitman to kill himself. Who was the benefactor? His wife and kids. Wow. Yeah, because uh, suicide wasn't covered by the insurance policies of the time. I think a lot of insurance policies still to this day, they don't cover it. Yeah. So, yeah, again, that's the general consensus. But it's also possible that Brady or possibly another criminal connection, you know, his drug connection or, you know, any of these uh, undesirables that he was friendly with, could have possibly ordered the hit but either way no one was ever charged the trial went ahead but he was the main witness and they still had no body so they couldn't actually prove that jimmy was dead like how did they know that he wasn't just out gallivanting living his best one-armed life yeah so brady had never been charged with a violent crime they the police managed to get him in on those forgery crimes which forgery charges which they probably would have never even looked into if he hadn't come under the spotlight like this. He was also only five foot four. Jimmy, remember, was an aspiring boxer in his youth. He was a big dude. With that in mind, Brady was acquitted of all charges. The judge just couldn't put it together. Like all this evidence was like circumstantial, basically. Are you fucking kidding me? There's like as as if drugs overdoses don't fucking exist as in slipping someone like a mickey doesn't fucking exist but they couldn't prove it there was no body there there was no toxicology reports nothing they had that confession from a dead man (sighs) so stupid like at this stage it's literally just brady's word against holmes's word Uh uh-huh so anyway brady walked out a free man Uh uh-huh it is thought that even if brady didn't kill jimmy He knew exactly who did, having all these connections. But he maintained his innocence until his dying day in 1965. There's one tiny little, I won't even call it a twist, but according to Vice, years after the trial, Brady's wife said that she actually had gone to the cottage that night, this random little cottage that Brady was renting, because she thought that he was having an affair. So she went out to catch them in the act. And when she got there, she heard a whole group of people, men, uh, drinking and playing cards. Again, with these really loud cards that she can hear <laughs> through the fucking window. <laughs> but yeah, th- there's no way they can confirm if this happened, if it did happen, who the men were. Like, you know, now it's, what, 90 years ago, 85 years ago. There is an Australian legal historian named Alex Castles. And he reckons that Jimmy was killed in the cottage, but it happened while Brady was genuinely out fishing like brady had left this party to go out on his boat and the cottage was just rented under his name 
for whatever reason. And the people who actually murdered Jimmy were far more um, nefarious than Brady. Like, they were way above him. So Brady just kept his mouth shut. He knew what happened, possibly even got rid of the body, but did not want to rat out anybody else. Yeah. And also, the fact that Jimmy was a, a snitch only came out, obviously, after all this shit had come out to the police and stuff. Oh. So I don't know whether that kind of put a dampener on the, the case, like as in nobody wanted to help then. Yeah. It seems like there was a lot of closed mouth groups and stuff. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because um, I think I was reading that book about Catherine Smith. Knight. Catherine Knight. I don't know why I keep, every time I mention her, I give her a different last name. And it, it kind of felt that way where it was like things were just very community. Like we take care of things on our own. Yeah, yeah. You know? But yeah, so there you go. I thought that story was really fucking cool. That's like a, it could be a movie. Literally, the way, like, as I was reading it, I was like, that's crazy, shark. <laughs> and I was like, that's crazy, boat chase. <laughs> and in my head, I'm seeing him, like, dancing on the side of the boat. like Fucking shark, man. But yeah, either way, poor old Jimmy Smith never got, uh, nobody ever got accused of the crime. Poor guy. Or, sorry, nobody ever got charged with his murder mm. um well maybe not poor guy because sounds he sounds like he started out okay yeah i don't know how how nice or not nice he was but yeah cool tattoo and i will post that i i say this every week i'll post these pictures on the instagram <laughs> i never fucking do <laughs> but there's actually a lot of pictures from this crime like the different individuals involved like patrick brady what about the tattoo yeah yeah it's there what? yeah and patrick brady like not to judge a book by its cover or anything. I'm sure he was a lovely man. <laughs> but he looks guilty. <laughs> <laughs> There's a book by Vincent Gatton Kelly called Shark Arm Case. I think it's about this. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Shark Arm Case. Roll, really rolls off the tongue. Yeah, so it is like a really well-known case. And... um I didn't fucking know about it. No, neither did I. And I'm, so I'm sure there have been many a podcast to cover it. Suicide. And maybe they have better information or more information, but I couldn't not talk about it because it was such an interesting uh, case. The cover of this book is fucking amazing. It looks is like... Is it the um, one, the old school Pulp Fiction cover? It's this one? Yeah. It's like, uh, like a really old Jaws poster or something. Mm-hmm. Right, tell me a story, Dulce. Yeah, okay. So, I wanted to talk about Japanese ghost stories because they seem cool. <laughs> I mean, that's why I talk about anything on here. So, because it's cool. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Anyways, and I'll, you know, from time to time, I'll talk about these stories because there's so many fucking yokai, like Japanese folklore and... All sorts of stuff. Kind of like, I, I think of it like, you know how like in Greek mythology, they made all kinds of stories and like, you know, in their own mythology to explain things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or like they made stories for caution, like cautionary tales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the same thing, which I think is really cool and interesting. But anyways. But yokai is... Ghost. Japanese okay. ghosts. Ghost, ghost, ghost. <laughs> A Luigi board. <laughs> All right. So the first one I'm going to talk about is coach. I'm going to Americanize the fuck out of this. Kuchisake Ona. So that translates into slit mouthed woman. Slit mouthed woman. Yes. So the story goes. That her husband had punished her for constantly cheating on him by slitting her throat open from ear to ear. Yikes. She goes undetected amongst us because she wears a mask, much like the ones we've been accustomed to wearing in 2020. She will approach people at night to ask them strange questions like, do you think I'm beautiful? Which is what someone who is looking for some late night fun would ask. <laughs> if you say no... She will kill you instantly. Jesus. How? I'll tell you. Okay. 
If you say yes, she'll take off her mask to show you her mouth. She will then ask you again if you think she's beautiful. And then slice your mouth up like hers. So either way, you're screwed if you meet her. Fuck. Yeah. You haven't heard this one? I don't think so. I don't know much about any Asian culture. Really? really? Yeah. Wow. And I feel like now, like, there's so much. Yeah. Where do I start, you know? I get, well, I think, I think I know a little more than you because I watch anime. Yeah, which. Well, used to watch anime. It's not that I don't want to anymore. It's just, there's just so much stuff to watch. Yeah. And rewatch. <laughs> yeah, because it turns out we have anxiety disorders, so we need to rewatch the same thing over and over again. Yeah, because we don't like surprises. Nope. <laughs> oh, Michael Scott burned his foot on the grill. <laughs> uh, Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Yuki, Yuki Ona. This translates to Snow Woman. Snow woman, no cry. Oh, uh, my God. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Listeners. So, snow woman originates from North Japan, where it gets super snowy. Of course. Um, she has snow white skin, of course, and long jet black hair. She loathes. She loaves. She leaves no footprints if you see her walking through snow. She was alive once uh, before being murdered and left in the snow to die. Or I guess she already died if she was murdered. It's a lot of weird stuff going on there. Yeah. Anyways, uh, she's said to kill people by luring them into the woods and freezing them to death. Or she'll suck your soul out through your mouth. Like a Dementor. Yeah. These creatures can actually fall in love with men and live happy married lives. What? Yeah. They can eat food and do things. Is it like if they fall in love, then they can lead like a normal life? No, they they can do all these things, but they can disguise because they look like they're just they look like women. Okay. Um, But they're not they're really because real women don't. Freeze you to death. Fridges do. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> so, like I said, they can live normal fucking lives, you know, if their husband doesn't catch on that they're fucking snow people or snow ladies, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Obviously, that becomes a deal, drip, a deal breaker and, you know, the marriage breaks up. So that's the lore of married life for these snow women right right personally if i was married to a creature like this and i found out i don't think i'd care i wouldn't because it's like we have dinner we go out and do things yeah yeah we're just living a normal ass life i just know that you have the power to do this yes yes so i will behave (laughs) right maybe that's why it's a deal breaker it's like i don't want a woman telling me what to do it's demasculating yeah yeah I want to suck the soul out of your mouth. Why can't I? (laughs) (laughs) That's my man voice. Give me me that soul. (laughs) Yeah, I like your man voice. Do I sound like a man? No. (laughs) I like when you... uh, Try to talk deep voice. Yeah. That's hilarious. (laughs) So apparently there is a story. I left it out of my my notes. I'm not entirely sure why because it was a good story. But there was a story about this snow woman who had got married because she married because she fell in love with a dude, and they lived happily ever after until like winter came, and he like insisted that she take like a hot bath instead of like a quick shower, I guess. Yeah. And he was like, "No, like if you don't take a warm bath." You're going to get sick. Like, you really should take a bath. And she was, you know, knowing she was a snow woman, she's like, no. No, I'll melt. So finally, after a lot of insisting, like, he ran a bath for her. And, 
you know, she went in and when he went to go check on her because she wasn't coming out, he just found icicles in the water. Weird. Yeah. So that's how you kill them. Yeah, you run nice hot baths for them. Who knows? Maybe, maybe he knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chochin Obake. Okay. Which is a possessed Chochin lantern. Lantern. Sometimes I think my tongue is too small to pronounce things properly. I feel like I have to stick out my tongue to enunciate. Lantern. Anyways. Um, it's a possessed Chochin lantern that comes into being after being in someone's possession after a hundred years. So it's a normal paper lantern before that. Okay. But it has the possibility of getting randomly possessed and becoming alive. So you're like, oh, that lantern's almost a hundred years old. We better, better throw it out. Yeah. Or give it to the neighbors. Because it has to be owned by the same person. Oh, or, I thought you meant like give it to the to give it to the neighbors and let their house turn to shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's person because then like how often do you meet a hundred person, a hundred year person? hundred year old person. Yes. Okay. You know, I'm not going to correct that anymore. It's just how I fucking talk. Okay. <laughs> but maybe it has to do with maybe just like being in the same household or building for a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. The paper splits along one of its wooden ribs, forming a gaping mouth with a wild, lolling tongue. Uh. Kind of like cartoonish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One or two eyes pop out of the upper half of the lantern, and occasionally arms or legs may sprout from its body as well. This yokai is not harmful, but it just likes to scare humans and laugh at them. <laughs> yeah i can picture this like it's kind of like in my head i'm picturing like a pokemon like there, gengar there are you know some most of them are you know not harmful but um scary though yeah obviously scary yeah you know they just do it sh for shits and giggles mm -hmm. but there are harmful yokai that disguise themselves as this kind of yokai Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So you're like, oh, scared the shit out of me, silly lantern. Oh, wait a minute. But, ah. Yeah. Uh... yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yorogumo. 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 <laughs> the Entangling Bride is what it translates to. She inhabits populated areas and also caves and forests. She's a spider yokai. Nope. <laughs> Mimi, my niece, is like, hell no. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hell no, fuck that. There are actual Jorogumo that are, you know, they're spiders that can grow to be pretty fucking big. And they can catch, like, they can grow big enough to catch small birds to eat. And these are fucking spiders. Wait, like the... So South there's American a there's a yokai, yeah. Like, a, we're talking about real spiders, right? Now. There's a yokai named after this spider. Okay. Okay. Um. Like I said, they're actual jorogumo that are spiders. Only spiders. They don't turn into yokai. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I was confused. All right. She is well. I guess jorogumo. Like we're talking the spiders here. Just spider. Uh, they're colorful and vivid in appearance. Some of them don't like they vary in color. Yeah, and they look like somebody who does graffiti just dropped all their fucking spray paint on these spiders because some of them have really vibrant. Well, all of them have vibrant coloring. Like I saw one that was like purple and green. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, like this one looks like a fucking World War Two plane that you know they used <laughs> to paint their planes. That I I don't know if that one's it, but the body is really fat. I think it might be like a male female thing. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. You're smart. Nope, just terrified of spiders. <laughs> so these spiders are supposed to weave webs that are gold tinted, and yeah, like I've seen pictures and they do look. Like, that's crazy. Japan just seems like such a land of wonder. Mm -hmm. 
Can't wait to go. As soon as this stupid pandemic is over, then I can find another excuse not to go. <laughs> <laughs> the story is that after a Jorogumo spider reaches 400 years of age, they develop magical powers and feed on humans instead of small animals. As a result, they adapt and develop powers on how to prey on humans, like how to deceive them or appeal to them to their appealing to their base sexual natures which is smart because it's like okay like i can use this other form to hunt yeah, yeah. so you have to adapt right yeah to catch your prey it's like look at this big ass look this at this big, big vagina ass that I got. Yeah. oh yeah she had a huge vagina <laughs> Jiroguma usually appear as women and prefer to eat young men. Yeah. More supple, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah. Once they're entangled in the yokai's web, they will inject them with venom that will weaken a man day by day until they die a slow and painful death. And then, you know, that's their source of food for a couple of days because they eat them slowly. Yeah, yeah. Sick bastards. <laughs> They also have the power to recruit spiders in their employ, just in case the yokai needs reinforcement to thwart would-be meddlers that would get in the way of their next meal. This one's actually giving me, like, the I, proper shivers because of I, I can see you, like... Yeah, because I keep... I'm just looking at more and more pictures of spiders, and then my I headphones... I saw you jump because yeah, you thought a spider was on you. against my arm, and I was like, ah, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I hate spiders. Me fucking too. Are you ready for the next one? Are you ready for this? Yes. It's not a spider. Thank God. Gesha Dokuro. These are fucking cool. They're giant skeletons who don't need nourishment, but choose to eat humans anyway. <laughs> what? Yeah, so, okay, check this out. They move only at night and usually gravitate towards old battlegrounds or mass graves. They're noisy, but can quiet the chatter of their bones and teeth in order to sneak up. On a human, they plan to kill by crushing them or biting off their heads. Whoa. Yeah. So, the cool thing about these things is like how they're made because these things are like essentially born these giant skeletons are a collection of the bones of people who have died without proper burials which makes sense as to why they gravitate to battlegrounds and mass graves it's the anger and pain that molds this collection of energy and bones once the anger burns out of this monster it can die that's cool yeah yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you get it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Like, I just want to... Because, you know, when I type up these notes, they make perfect sense to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm but, saying. you know. No, I, I like that one. I can picture it, like, again, being like a movie. Yeah. This one's creepy as fuck. This one is called Kuro Bozo. Bo I'm sorry. Kuro Bozu. It translates to the black monk. This creature looks like a shadow person that looks vaguely similar to a monk. It feeds on the breath of humans. It smells so bad that it can make people sick. Some reports say it smells like garbage or rotted fish. Yeah. It can move at very fast speeds almost and it looks like they're flying. Like, that's how fast they move. I don't like that. I don't like things that move too slow, and I don't <laughs> like things that move too fast. Oh, yeah, you're scared of sloths. I forgot. These things only come out at night. Kind of like um, like a sleep paralysis demon. Okay. Yeah. And um, feeds off human breath. That's weird. Like, mm -hmm. does it, like, take your breath? Like, you know what I mean? Can it kill you? Yes. That's the idea? Okay. It's slowly. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Because, like, once it, it'll slowly feed off the same person. Okay. And while it's doing this, once, like, while it comes every night to steal your breath. Yeah. It makes you sick because you're slowly dying. Wow. Yeah. 
The most well-known Kurobozu report comes from the early Meiji period. From a newspaper article in the Hochi Shinbun, the encounter took place at a certain carpenter's house in Kanta, Kanda, Tokyo. At midnight, a black shadowy figure shaped like a monk suddenly appeared in the house. The creature entered the bedroom where the husband and wife were sleeping. It climbed over the carpenter's sleeping wife and stuck its tongue in her ears and mouth. Then it licked her all over. The creature smelled like foul garbage. <laughs> the smell was so noxious that the family became ill. Again and again for several nights, the Kuro Bozu returned to assault the carpenter's wife. Finally, she could not put up with it anymore. She left her husband and went to stay with some relatives. According to the carpenter, after his wife left, the black monk stopped coming. Interesting. Isn't it? Interesting that all of a sudden the house smells like death. And then his wife has gone to live with their, with her family far away, supposedly. Well, the family was, the whole family started getting sick because of how bad it smelled. Interesting. <laughs> stupid. No, but that's fucking gross. Don't lick me. <laughs> Don't lick me. Ever. Oh, I forgot to mention the um, sources. Uh, blog gaijinpot.com yokai fandom yokai.com this is the one i think that i actually used for when i did the doppelganger mm. or the akirio mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. The, yeah that's where i found it's a cool website you should go check it out yes not you it's a listener <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, i'm that because there's just so much on that website I, i'm just like wow I want to pick everything that seems interesting to me and share it with the world that doesn't know about this website. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to not get distracted when we, when you find like one of those sites. Mm-hmm. So the last one is called Kakehashi. So <laughs> <laughs> this one, I'm going to read word for word from the yokai.com site because it's such a good story. It's not like, oh, it eats this, it does this, or, you know, it's not like that. It's yeah. a, it's just a really good story about this yokai. I can't wait. If if we ever were to have a child, I can't wait to scare the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Kakehashi. The, tran- the translation for this is none. That's her name, none. None, as in, like, a Catholic none. No, like, none, as in yeah. void. Okay. All right, so appearance. Kakashi. Takashi Kashi. Kakehashi appears in Baika Hioretsu by Ido period novelist Santo Kyoden. She brutally murdered her husband's mistress and in turn fell victim to the curse of the mistress's vengeful ghost and her own karma. This is the legend. Kagahashi was the beloved wife of the samurai Karakoto Urazaman. Kagahashi was unable to become pregnant, so Urazaman kept the mistress name Manohana. Kagahashi and Manohana got along very well, but Urazaman was away on business. But while Urazaman was away on business, his neighbor, Furutori Sabunta, plotted against him. He laid a trap for Kakehashi, toying with her emotions. Sabunta made Kakashi, Kakehashi believe that Urazaman and Manohana were planning to murder her. He showed her letters from her husband to his mistress describing their plan. Then Sabunta seduced Kakehashi. He convinced her to kidnap and torture Manohana then finally drowned her in a goldfish tank. That seems small. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> Afterwards, they stole Urasaman's valuables, ran off into, and they ran off into the mountains together. Kakehashi and Sabunta ran into a gang of bandits who stripped them of all of their stolen goods. Penniless and wanted for murder, 
Kagehashi and Sabunta had no choice but to hide away in the mountains. They survived by becoming bandits themselves. Sabunta dressed up as a Yukiona, as we mentioned before, a snow woman, scaring and robbing travelers in the snowy mountain pass. He amassed a large amount of wealth and eventually became a powerful bandit leader himself. Meanwhile, Kakehashi was tormented by the spirit of Manohana. She suffered terrible dreams in which she was attacked by countless goldfish, which bit her all over. Oh, that's kind of weird. Isn't it? <laughs> when she woke up, she was covered in painful bruises in all of the places she dreamt the goldfish had bit her. Kakehashi put ointment on the wounds, but it only caused the pain to increase. Eventually, the pain was so great that she became bedridden. Kakehashi's symptoms worsened day by day. Her face began to swell. Postules erupted all over her body. Her skin split and became streaked with rivers of pus and blood. The pain and the itching were unbearable. The stench was nauseating. As her symptoms worsened, her cheeks inflated like balloons. Her lips and nose rotted and fell off, permanently exposing her teeth. Her inflamed eyes pushed out of their sockets. Kakehashi could no longer swallow food and began to starve. She could barely drink water, and even that caused her great pain. Her belly became distended like a taiko drum. Her arms and hands shriveled up until they looked like skin and bone. She now looked like a giant, grotesque goldfish. No doctors were able to diagnose her illness, but Kakehashi knew that it was a curse of Manohana's ghost. Consumed by suffering, Kakehashi lashed out at Sabunta. You brought this curse upon me. You turned me into an adulteress. You made me kick Manohana's pregnant belly until it split open. You made me kill her unborn child. Don't think I will ever forget it. Kakeshi's pain caused her mind to snap. She alternated between spitting curses at Sabunta and cuddling her pillow like a child, singing lullabies to it. If Kakeshi wished for death, Manohana's curse did not grant it to her. Letting Kakashi die would be too merciful. Manohana wanted her to suffer, and so Kakaheshi slowly recovered from her illness. But while her pain and her insanity gradually subsided, her physical deformities never healed. She was cursed to look like a monster for the rest of her life. After that, Sabunta returned home less and less often. Kakahashi became increasingly jealous. She was terrified that Sabunta would leave her because of her disfigurement. One day, after Sabunta had not returned for several days, Kakehashi grew tired of waiting. She went looking for him herself. She found him drinking sake in his camp with his arms around a pair of beautiful young women. Dirty bastard. Kakahashi was furious. She stormed over and grabbed both women by the hair and snarled at Sabunta. Wherever you hide, don't think I won't find you. Without hesitation, Sabunta drew his sword to Kakahashi's neck. He revealed the truth to her. Everything I said to you was a lie. Your husband never betrayed you. I forged those letters just to manipulate you. I never loved you. I just used you to get Yura Zayman's money. You are the one who killed Manahana. How dare you begrudge me for your sins? Everything that happened to you is your fault because you were dumb enough to believe my lies. Kakahashi regretted everything she had done to her husband and to Manohana, but it only fueled her rage. Her eyes flared with anger. Her fangs snapped in her lipless mouth. Her long hair flew about wildly. Gripping the two girls by their hair, she screamed, If you kill me, I will find you. 
alive or dead, I will find you. I will hunt you down across the six realms and the four directions, and I will have my revenge. Sabunta laughed, holding his sake in one hand and his sword in the other. He mocked Kakahashi. Then he cut Kakahashi's head from her body. Suddenly, the sky grew dark. A gust of wind blew, and the earth began to shake. Kakahashi's severed head shot up into the sky. Her eyes burned, white-hot, and stared at Sabunta. Flames leapt from her mouth. The screaming head spiraled around him in circles, and then it suddenly, suddenly vanished. Sabunta looked back at Kakahashi's body. Her dead hands were still gripping the hair of the two girls. Sabunta cut her arms from her body to free the girls, but it was too late. They were both dead. From then on, Sabunta was haunted by Kakahashi's vengeful ghost. Everywhere he went, Kakahashi found him and tortured him relentlessly. She inflicted him with sickness and madness, and like Kakahashi, his disease left him disfigured. And just as Manohana had done to her, Kakahashi never killed Sabunta. It was Yurasaman's brother, Takijiro, who eventually tracked Sabunta down and took revenge upon him. Fucking hell. These stories, man, they're so good. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. That was good, though. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Yeah, I certainly did. Anyway, listen to Storytime. Listen okay. to Storytime. Yeah. So this story comes from Reddit user Starfish Fish. It's called Bumped Into a Shadow Figure Outside of the Bathroom. That sucks. Yeah, it's not too long. That's what she said. I was staying up late watching TV one school night when I was around 16. I'm 23 now. I got up to go to the bathroom. When I was finished, I opened the door and walked out as normal. I had taken maybe two steps when I suddenly felt myself run into someone and be slightly pushed back. Without thinking, I apologized as I believed it to be one of my relatives. However, when I looked up, as I had my head down before, I realized that what I was looking at was an obscure, human-like shape that was entirely opaque. It was as if I had bumped directly into a shadow that had taken on a three-dimension that had taken on a three-dimensional form. Before the initial disbelief could even set in, it disappeared. I reached my hands out in front of me, but nothing was there. I literally sprinted back into my room and leapt on the bed. Nothing quite like that has ever happened to me since. But I definitely had other very strange occurrences in that house. Bum, bum, bum. That's crazy. Yeah, right? That's like one that has to be like one of the worst, like, like the things to be afraid of. Like, oh, I hope I never have to run into a shadow. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I just wonder, like, yeah, you, you can never go back to being 100% comfortable in that house. No. Surely. You'd never be the fucking same. No. You the conversations wouldn't. you'd have afterwards. Like, you wouldn't <laughs> be able to have normal conversations, I would I would assume. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't be, like, walking around the house with no lights on. That kind of reminds me of, like, um, how I was saying, like, you'd never be the same. That story, that small storyline, that sub, it was a subplot or sub storyline from American Horror Story. Um, the first season, the guy went to go um, to the psychiatrist dad and was telling him that he can't be in the bath, like he can't look at mirrors or something because he was afraid that the pig man would come out. Oh, yeah. You just, shit like that happens to you, you're, you're yeah, never the, the same. Andy, yeah. Yeah. Well, hope you're all right, Starfish Fish. <laughs> okay, gang. This was another week of Weekly Creep. We yes. hope you're all still enjoying it. We are getting new listeners every week, so... Yeah, we got, like, a positive review. Yeah, another positive review on iTunes. That really, 
lifts our spirits and makes us go, oh, look at this. Yeah, it's like, hell yeah, we're we're not just doing this for fun. Like, people enjoy listening to us. Yeah, which is really nice. It is, yeah. It's encouraging. I always see whenever it's hard, when I'm having a hard time trying to figure out what my next topic's going to be. Especially because, like, I feel like all the topics that I've done before... I'm just like, man, that one was so interesting to me. Like, how am I going to find one that'll top that one? That'll blow my mind. (laughs) And I know it's going to happen, you know, because I'm personally the one picking out the ones that I like. Yeah, yeah. But still, it's just the idea is daunting, I guess. Or, you know. Yeah, I do find like sometimes I'll spend like an hour or two getting balls deep in a topic and then go, nah. Mm. But we love it. And we're having a great time doing it. Okay, gang. Um, make sure to follow us on all the shit. Uh, Instagram. I've gotten real young and hip and cool, and I can do questions and polls on there now. Well, you're fucking 29. You are young. <laughs> well, I'm even hipper and cooler than I should be. No, so um, interact with us on there. That's definitely where we're most active. Um, we are on Facebook, and we are also on Twitter. That yep. noise in the background is our... Our cat wants to get in. Yeah, the asshole cat. So let's wrap it up. Okay, um, see you guys next Friday. Hope you all enjoyed the show. Yep. Uh, send us your personal stories, your personal experiences to weeklycreep at gmail.com. And yeah, that's it, I think. Yeah, we'll see you all later, or we'll talk to you guys later. Okay, bye. Bye.